This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. Hello, everyone. Normally, we go back and forth about some stuff, but we didn't write that this week because we're back after a long hiatus. How high? Falcon soaring through the sky high. Say hi, Falcon. Caca! We're so glad to have you back in our lives. It's been a hectic holiday for your favorite 40K fellows, and Falcon and I have been busy, too. That's right. I mean, uh, we had Christmas, we had New Year's, right. Hanukkah, Yo, there Kwanzaa, Charity Hammer. Charity Hammer. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah. I Ch- mean, I had quite the adventure going to Charity Hammer, in case anyone hasn't read my uh, story that I posted on uh, the 40K Stats Facebook page. I, I highly recommend it. Pa- passport um, Horror Stories get some clicks, I'll tell you. They do, like for sure. If we made money off of posts on Facebook, um, we 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 wouldn't have to write this podcast anymore. I could just forget my passport at home mm-hmm. over and over again as I travel across the world, and explain the the crazy stories around how I get them back. Yeah, and and the crazy story of where you were going in all of that. Um, when you got on stream, remind me again. How long had you been awake consecutively? Uh, when I started streaming um, at 3 a.m., I'd been awake for 26 hours at that point, um, and I believe I didn't stop um, until I was about 37 in. That's when I got my first break. But that wasn't—it wasn't anything on the Charity Hammer guy's side. They, uh, Colin built quite the wicked schedule to make sure we all had enough breaks to get through life. Um, however, with me having to miss my flight to catch a late flight in order to get to Seattle relatively on time, like uh, within the first couple hours of the event starting. And then um, when I was supposed to take my first mini break, um, I w- uh, Jim Vessel came to swap me in, and he looked like an ancient um, babushka lady. <laughs> um, he was clearly dead to rights. He was uh, swathed in this uh, like old blanket you he like just just his nose sticking out of it and he sat down in front of the twitch stream and i was like no jim you go sleep i'll just i will take a little bit of whatever adderall slash cocaine that mitch pelham gave me five minutes ago right we'll be set to go it was grapefruit flavored it may have just been a flintstone vitamin i'm pretty sure it killed chris farley It, it may have but um, it, it powered me through a couple more hours until I could have a nap on a couch, right. get sat on by Mark Perry, Gross. get to watch a hilarious interaction when uh, tiny but, Mr. Richard Siegler told him off. I just want to oh, say that Mark Perry strikes me as the type of guy who will fart on people. Um, you have pinpointed exactly everything about Mark Perry's personality in one sentence. That's just that's the vibe I get, you know. He, but he is like everybody at Charity Hammer was absolutely incredible. I had a an amazing time um, meeting all these new people and people that I've met before, but just getting to see them again. It's it's always a great experience, especially coming from a guy that lives a million miles away from civilization. Just is a great great experience. Uh, would do again for sure. 
Well, that's fantastic because it was an arduous journey. I'm glad it paid off for you, and it paid off for the charity. I did see that they shaved podcast nemesis Alex McDougal's hair off. So what did they? Yes. What, what number did they hit? Well, the to get his hair shaved was was 10k, so we broke that. Um, I believe they ended up just over 12,000. If you listen to Best in Faction this week, they do go over the final, well, the quote-unquote final results. Colin says he's still getting like the odd uh, donation in the last second. Mm -hmm. But I believe it was just over $12,000 was what we finished up with. And that was with some really hefty donations from uh, some some figures. So um, it was it was a great experience. I really enjoyed myself, like I said. And uh, we don't. We made a bunch of money for charity, so that's spectacular. So uh, way to go! Um, I guess my only thing that I did, 40k related, was uh, I went to the Critical Hit GT, which was a GT that actually got 28 people, and 28 people showed up in the midst of biblical rainstorms, which is weird for January, mm-hmm. and also a nuclear scare. Yeah, that was interesting. I really enjoyed that text message you sent me um, <laughs> in like the middle of the day at the airport. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I assumed everything was okay, and you seem to be fine. So, well, you know, I actually literally had to drive through where the nuclear thing that didn't happen was supposed to have happened. It was basically like this text message warning alert system that was accidentally set out, kind of like that nightmarish text that Hawaii got a few years ago. Yeah. Except theirs was worse, right? Because theirs yeah, was, was like, like yeah. you are going to be hit with a missile, whereas this one <laughs> yeah. was like, hey, there was no nuclear thing that happened. Look away, right? Yeah. That was basically was, what the thing said. It was the, the least said. reassuring text message of all times. But anyway, yeah. I did I did get to go uh, get to go there, and we very briefly touch on it later. Uh, so why don't we move this sucker ahead? Because this is a very special episode we have lined up for you today, as it marks the beginning of our two-part series. 40K and Loathing in Las Vegas, or How I Learned to Love Myself in the Marine Meta. While we still play some lip, pay some lip service to the GTs and Majors occurring over the next couple of weeks, our main focus is going to be on the storylines leading up to the granddaddy of them all, the Las Vegas Open. We will be giving you the latest in stats and shifts in the top factions as we come into the final stretch, and perhaps more importantly, deep diving a swath of favorites to take it all. Man, no, uh, LVO is going to be so big this year. I believe uh, last I looked, they'd had just shy of 800 lists submitted. Deadline Whoa. was yesterday, folks. So if you are planning on going, uh, get that list in so you don't get more than the one yellow you're already getting. Um, I believe Reese has said that he expects a few people to come in last minute. It's it's going to be a crazy, crazy event. 800 uh, lists is like I was talking some schmack on Chapter Tactics where I appeared recently, and I was saying you know this could be a big drop rate um, on account of it being Las Vegas for one and Marine Meta for a second, but that would be a 20% drop rate if I'm not uh, wrong about my numbers. So yeah, that ain't bad. No, and that's according to Reese. That's kind of what they generally get out of uh, out of LVO is a fifteen to twenty. Um, so, so one thing that I had thought, and I had talked to Pablo and other people about this, was I felt like even though a lot of events were hitting this 35 percent mark of late, um, I felt LVO would kind of be immune because it's LVO. It's it's the big it's the big deal, right? It's not just a tournament. It's it's like a whole experience. It's kind of like going to Nova or any of these other super majors where you're not just going to play. You're going to be at LVO. 
Um, so I felt that might mitigate a lot of the problems we're seeing uh, like elsewhere in the world with some of the smaller GTs and majors that, that have been coming out. Right. Um, and some big announcements. Uh, Reese announced that the top 100 tables are, are all going to be the exact same terrain layout um, with a bit of a caveat and that uh, depending on what deployment you roll for your game, um, the terrain will be set up differently. I thought that was super interesting. I like the, <coughs> pardon me, the top 100 tables is a drop in the bucket of all the tables and that's almost the size of Nova. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, of the of the <laughs> what'll end up probably being four hundred to four hundred and fifty tables. Uh, just over, just under a quarter of them are going to be uh, the exact same layout. It's very intriguing. Looking at the layouts, I see a lot of people uh, talking up how chaos has jumped up in their eyes as a, as having a good chance um, because the tables do really uh, help that possessed bomb list that, for our, uh, for, our been... for our listeners who are blind to the internet and uh for the uh you know medium of podcasting what 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 is the defined table what what have they gone with oh so uh the the table is essentially these four kind of impassable hills um that you'll that you see at uh, at their tables as well as a large um ruin that's going to generally be center placed with, I believe it's two smaller ruins um, in each deployment zone. And that's essentially going to be the setup um, no matter what deployment you get. It's just going to be where those hills are placed to add better uh, line of sight blocking on the for each side. Um, so yeah, no, so really no, no enclosed ruins on the top. 100. No enclosed ruins, which is a, which is. Yeah, hashtag no enclosed ruins, which is a big deal. Um, a lot of people, when they prep for FLG events, prep considering enclosed ruins being a thing. So there's lists that are built around it and built to deal with it. Um, if you are a player that that feels like you're going to be in that top 200, uh, which, you know, there's a lot of people that are probably, I wouldn't say are guaranteed, but might as well be guaranteed are going to be in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not something you have to worry about anymore. So now you're, you know, exactly, uh, at least like the five or six different, uh, terrains you're going to see and you can build against that instead. So you don't have to worry about how do I deal with, um, some really crappy, uh, bulldog unit sitting in a enclosed ruin in the middle of the table. It's not going to be a concern. That's fascinating. Well, and you know, for that coverage, cause I mean the stream table obviously will not be covering these, uh, new standardized table or, or really that uh anything beyond the top table so there's going to be something else folks 40k stat center the ocho is stepping into the gap uh since we went dark i guess we've only talked about this on chapter tactics and a few other places but we will be running uh secondary coverage of the lvo we will be covering the tournament as a whole um we're going to get uh the falcon a fancy costume and a, and a mobile cam uh, we're going to have a booth set up with two of uh, the finest talking heads in 40K, uh, Mr. Adam Camilleri, and as well as uh, the Paul Murphy uh, as as host. Yours truly will be running the stream uh, as, uh, as a trusty servo skull, and I'll occasionally even take you out above the LVO uh, for a, a bird's eye view, if you will of the action. So we've got a lot lined up. It's going to be pretty sweet and we should be streaming all over the damn place. I hope for sure. Uh, my goal as the guy in the field is going to be to be doing a lot of running, uh, with that, uh, that kind of gimbal mounted camera setup. 
We're going to try and get you guys um, basically all of the top tables that we find uh, round to round um, with Paul and Adam providing uh, commentary on what's been on what's going on on those tables, as well as providing interviews from players as they finish their games. Um, and following um, some of the players that we're going to be talking about over the next two episodes. Um, because, yeah, we're, we're in it to win it. And uh, we want to make sure you guys get the best competitive 40K coverage. Uh, the Warhammer TV stream is always excellent. Reese and Frankie are definitely going to be knocking out of the part as commentators. Heck yeah. Um, but, that, but that being said, they are only watching one game. And sometimes those first couple days... They're a little. They, there's not uh, as much focus on the competitive side as as uh, we're going to be able to provide. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll bring you updates as to you know the various best in faction races because those are always fun to follow along on. And uh, like Pete said, you know uh, we're we're going to be focusing on eight uh, masters of the game, all of which will be in attendance of the LVO, and uh, we're going to deliver our first four uh, spotlights later on in the show. But uh, Perhaps, with all that said, why don't we hit up a quick little rundown, if you will, of what happened while we were over. Brad Chester won the Glass City Major. was a 70-odd person event on the East Coast using a secret list. It's labeled as Raptors, but who knows? It could have been Harlequins or Grey Knights or whatever. Congrats, Brad, on getting that first major win for Harlequins. Um, or for just winning with what everyone else has been doing it for the last three months. Oh, and shout out to this particular scene for being the last holdouts of posting lists publicly. Don't red on me. Meanwhile, in events that actually tracked what their players were doing, DEFCON hauled in a hefty 51 players over in our favorite Laplandic country with Par Highlander grasping victory using a Raven Guard list filled to the brim with Grav Devastators and a handful of Assault Centurions. And over at Hammer in the New Year, we got our first taste of competitive Sisters of Battle with Andrew Gagno stealing the prize using a glorious carpet of girls that ignore up to AP-2, protecting a backfield of untargetable Iron Hands Dreadnoughts and Thunderfire Cannons. Sounds like fun! Back across the pond, Anthony Chu swung for the fences with a relatively unconventional Thousand Sons and Demons list, winning it all at the ETC-styled 81-player Caledonian Uprising. Who knew that 10 powerful psychers with an unending blob of splitting horrors could do work? Over at the Golden Screw Cup, a super fancy affair on the East Coast of the United States of America, the purely un-American Alexander Fennel showed off his pre-LVO gun show, dropping all contenders with his own take on Lias Isidon and the Toronto Raptors. I've always pronounced it Isidon, but hey, at New Year's Knockout, Dan Salmons proved that he was better than the other 35 Marine players at the 36-man event when he rode his iron hands to victory. And finally up here in glorious Canada, Devin Swan took down all comers, including our very own Val and his boy, Lias Heffeldon, with his Blood Angels and Imperial Fists combo. He sure did. I had a little peek at that top table, but they slammed the door shut on the head. Now, if you're interested in what the list looked like, feel free to check out 40kstats.com or our friends at tabletop.to. Really? And, of course, the people that make this whole show possible, Best Coast Pairing. Why don't we hit that bump just like old times? Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCPTO app to organize events. 
for just about any tabletop game system. Download the Player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around, around the, the world. world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month <laughs> to support the team and unlock additional features. Available for iOS and Android. BestCoastPairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. So, folks, this, here it begins. The road to LVO. Fear and loathing in Las Vegas has nothing on this show. We're going to bring you four players this week that uh, have rocked our worlds over the last year and have a really good shot at taking the whole thing. And we're going to start this main portion tonight by traveling to that dank, moist, and thoroughly entitled Vancouver, British Columbia. It is the land of milk and honey, of overpriced real estate, and an overabundance of bike lanes. The land of the man who, for 10 months of this year, ran roughshod over the ITC, taking down GTs and majors across North America, and absolutely demolishing the hobby track while he was at it. Jim Vessel. So I started playing 40K competitively, like right around the start of 8. Um, I hadn't played 40K since 3rd edition, so it had been a very long time since I played 40K. I, I've been traditionally, I was always a fantasy player, a uh, competitive fantasy player. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I wasn't super hardcore uh, into it. Like, I was playing super competitively until um, about the second half of the season, um, the, the kind of last year. And that was mainly due to the fact that I was still kind of building my army, still kind of getting into the hang of, um, you know, the game and still kind of learning everything. Um, and then the more I kind of, the more I played, the more I was enjoying it. And as obviously, you know, when you start to get better at something, there's a bit of a kind of a, uh, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy where like the more I played, the more I wanted to play. I, I didn't start the first half of last year playing that much. I was playing, I think I played probably in like one event. And then, you know, I played, uh, I, I think Nova for me last year was like the, was like the kind of where the dam broke. You know, I got to go on stream and play Nick, which is really awesome. Um, you know, I had, you know, a lot of people were like really excited about my army and just coming home from Nova. I was just like, so I was so, so hyped about like getting you on stream and like, you know, playing, playing Nick, one of the best players in the world. And like that really like motivated me to like wanting to even do better. Um, and so then I started going to even more events at the end of, tail end of last year. And uh, I think like, I think like I went to like three times as many events in the second half of the year as I did in the first half. So I started kind of, getting super hungry for it and basically going to as many events as I could. And then that kind of um, obviously culminated in my first LVO. Um, I went four and two, which I was happy with because I hadn't, at that point, I had never won an event. I'd never, like I'd won a best overall, I think at some point, but I'd never like gone five and oh, perfect score at an event. And, um, you know, I was, that was in the Unari matter at the time. So um, my one loss, my two losses both came in Unari lists, which are, you know, pretty hard, but uh um, yeah, it was, it was really good. It was really fun. Uh, I was happy with, you know, overall how I did. And, and I just had lots of fun and, you know, a, lot, a bunch of my buddies from Toronto came. So it wasn't, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time gambling and drinking, so I didn't take it too seriously that, that, at that point. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I know, I know illusions about my, my, my player skill. Jim has been a veritable machine this year, boasting a 68 and eight record before the Marine Codex dropped. With six GT and major wins and four top table finishes, including a huge win at Adepticon and a second place finish at the BAO. 
Despite having most of his list invalidated by Marines, Jim has still managed a respectable 9-4-1 record in the three events he has participated in since. In the earliest part of the season, he accounted for a good 3% of of the Chaos Demons' entire win rate over at 40kstats.com and had an average game score of 30-16, to all while consistently holding the top of the hobby track and being one of the saltiest members of the Chaos community on competitive 40K. A true renaissance man, we were lucky enough to catch Jim during his recent whirlwind tour of LVO prep events and restaurant openings for a full breakdown on this entirely successful so season. So when, when did the delusion start growing about your players go? What was your, what was, what was your first GT win? So it was actually Dice Hammer out in um, uh, Lake Forest, California. It was the guys that run by uh, Nick Card. So he, I kept hearing, uh, I was actually out there for work. And uh, so I brought my army and I kept hearing, you know, this is like a really tough field. Like Ray was, I played Ray in my uh, fourth yeah. game um, or my, my fifth game. I, I played fourth or fifth game. I played Ray, beat him by one point. Played Richard Kozar, like beat him by, beat him in the first game uh, pretty badly. Uh, I think it was Richard Kozar. Um, uh, so I played, I played some of these like really top, top, like, uh, California players and then ended up winning the whole tournament um and I was like whoa like that's that was weird like I didn't think like somehow I pulled pulled it together um and that was after actually a, a really heartbreaking top table loss against TJ actually at uh the Barry Bash in February so going from a top table loss to a win kind of in my next event felt really good and then it kind of just kept rolling from there so actually so that's right you would have been because because um Barry Bash wasn't the only time you were sort of knocking on the door. Am I wrong about that? Did you did you have another top table finish even before Barry Bash? So, yeah, so I had a, I had quite a few top table finishes, um, which was uh, heartbreaking. But uh, yeah, and then uh, Adepticon after that took home Adepticon, which was obviously huge and, and obviously my hugest kind of victory so far. Um, and then you know cleaned up a few Canadian tournaments, got came second place at the AO. Losing to to the late great Jeff Robinson in the final, which is probably one of my most memorable games last year. Not just because of the fact that Jeff was awesome, but obviously um, since he's passed, like I, I really cherish that game that we got to play. So it's yeah, very memorable for me. So that's uh, that's a great moment. Um, uh, you know, backing up even a little bit uh, to Adepticon. Um, yeah, was that was against Juice, right? Yeah, I lost. I, I beat. Uh, I beat uh, Chris Blackham in the semifinal. He's like an amazing player, and then I beat yep. Juice in the final. Um, yeah. So those were both so, very very tough games. But Chris Blackham and Juice, gotta say, like probably two of my favorite opponents people have ever played. Great, great sports. Like super, super good. Like uh, champions of the hobby, and you know couldn't couldn't be nicer guys. So very very excited to get to play them both. What do you what do you think about that? I mean, you've presided over perhaps one of the most uh, drama free top table years that we've gotten to see so far in competitive forty k. And I know you know your experience is fairly uh, new, like you don't have any grudges dating back to old editions or whatever. <clears throat> but like, what do you think about that? Do you feel like the especially amongst the the higher echelon players, do you feel like there's a sort of a a surge of uh, of of, of sportsmanlike conduct or at least a, a more open method of playing the game yeah um i think overall like and, and, and i think this is something that's been really cool um you know when i used to play fantasy um i used to hear a lot of um 
you know, these stories from like the ETC, which was like the most competitive environment that you can imagine of people bringing like armies of marshmallows and tin cans and like <laughs> yeah. My Little Ponies and stuff like that. And I think as, as the standards of hobby and play have evolved, I think the standards of sportsmanship have also evolved. And especially with kind of the call-out culture and social media, like uh, just, you know, when I started the hobby, there was no Facebook. And I didn't really discover right. like the online Warhammer community until really like this 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 year, like Competitor 40K and a few other groups, which I will not name here, that uh, are these real kind of like a lot of people coalesce around these communities. But like yeah. when I started playing, I didn't even I didn't know about those. And I think as we've seen these kinds of online communities grow, uh, there's a lot more accountability in the players. And I think obviously you know nothing really beats the. Uh, Tony Grabando situation from LVO a few years ago, which I think kind of, you know, is a bit of a watershed moment in the hobby because it really was a fork in the road of, you know, how people wanted the hobby to go. And I think in a lot of competitive sports or games, uh, like Magic the Gathering is probably a good example, but mm -hmm. in a lot of those games, sometimes, and, and maybe even War Machine, if the, if the community decides that you know, that move that Tony did was super, was totally legit because those are the rules and that that's how we should play. And that's, that's what the judges ruled at the time too. Yeah, it probably goes in one direction. All of a sudden, when you think about who are the people that play this game, what do they like? And they become a bunch of Tonys or they could revolt, which is what actually happened and say, wow, that was like horrendous, such a bad play of sportsmanship. And it really shifts the community to the other to the other side. So I think that moment, you know, with what happened to Alex, it was such a watershed moment. I literally was just getting competitive 40k, and I remember watching the LVO. It was uh, I think it was two years ago, watching it on stream and watching that moment, watching that all happen on stream live. And I remember the outrage, and that really affected me as a competitive player because I was like, oh, like I want to be like Alex, not like Tony. And I think nice. a lot of players probably saw that and were like. Oh, okay, this is the way that we should conduct ourselves in the hobby, not not becoming these super win at all costs kind of cutthroat. Um, and I think the community's really kind of carried that that torch. So that's been really awesome. Thank you for that very thoughtful answer. Okay, so let's uh, let's shift gears a, a, a little bit here. Um, your favorite faction, I think, is famously chaos of 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 many different uh stripes uh did have you played like my first my fir very first purchase of anything warhammer was chaos warriors my very first 40k army was chaos space marines um and uh yeah it's my my, my eternal love of the evil <laughs> <laughs> so what uh have you played um like i mean obviously there's the what has become known as the jim vesselist to the chagrin of yep. europeans and tj lanigan uh, have you have you played any other factions or flavors this year? Uh, maybe more recently, for example. Uh, not competitively. I haven't played anything but chaos in any events. Um, I did. We had Charity Hammer this week, which was an awesome event. We raised over twelve thousand dollars for Child's Play Charity, so that was really awesome. And I did bring my. Uh, I was painting Soul Drinkers, a Soul Drinkers chapter of Base Marines. Um, if you want to check out my 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 army and my progress, you can uh, follow me at V underscore paints. I post all my like hobby painting and kind of competitive progress there uh, on Instagram. And uh, so I, I finished, I didn't quite, I have about 2,200 points painted. I brought those to Charity Hammer, played four games out of my like eight with them. I played my other four chaos, obviously. And uh, I enjoyed it. Like uh, definitely 
definitely not my style and definitely something that, you know, I was thinking of potentially them to LVO, but uh, I'm definitely sticking with Chaos after after playing them a few games. I just, I'm just, I'm just not at a place right now where I haven't had the practice. I've been, I've been out of the hobby for two months with work and I just don't know if, I just, I don't want to go embarrass myself and I know I can, you know, I might not be able to break top eight with Chaos, but I know I can go five and one or, you know, at least, you know, represent myself very well with Chaos, which is what I'm going to do. Um, so talking about LVO, cause that was pretty big. Um, you know, you, you played four games with space Marines. What kind of space Marines were you playing? So I played, um, sorry, I played five. So I played two games with my iron hands and then I played three games with a kind of a, a, a suit of Raven guard, white scars and Imperial fist. Yeah. So, you know, this is kind of my advice to players. So if you're, if you're, competi- if you're competitive or if you're just trying to get, get into the hobby, uh, just trying to pick an army. This is something that I think is really important, which is, you know, obviously you want to play a good army, but like I personally, and this is just maybe just me, maybe because I'm weird, I don't just play armies. Like I have, I play a certain way. Like I have a play style. There's certain armies that really speak to me Mm -hmm. and there's certain armies that I really don't enjoy playing. So, you know, you'd never catch me dead in a million years playing a tower army. And what I found was, first of all, the Iron Hands are basically like tau. they're very static. Uh, you do move a little bit, but it's not um, not to the level that I enjoy, where I can really leverage my ability to move to beat my opponent, right? Um, and then the second thing is with my other marine list, what I found was, yeah, I was I was having so much more fun with my Raven Guard list, but what I realized is trying to learn three codexes plus the, the base codex um, in two games and like learning the strategies, learning all the tricks, learning what units do was is a very bad idea um and just given the time mm-hmm. frame left for me to get to lvo i just i didn't feel confident that i could get get the get my playability to a, a level where i would even do well against like mid-level like i i didn't feel like i feel like i need maybe like 30 more reps with that list before deciding whether i would take it and at this point i have you know i can maybe play five more games before list deadline um and so I just yeah. I just don't feel confident. Um, and lastly, like um, I think at the end of the day, the other thing that I really this, and this kind of happened, and I was talking to Adam Camilleri, who's you know magical magical human being, and uh, you know we were talking about Marines and he, you know our games, and then I started talking about chaos, and he's like, dude, as soon as you started talking about chaos, like you got so excited and you're your eyes lit up and you were like smiling and just like super hyped up about it. But then whenever you talked about your Marines, you were very like, you know, sad and like anxious. And I could tell like, he's like, I could just tell that you got to play chaos. Like it's what your heart is telling you to play, you know? And you know, he's absolutely right. You you are talking to a guy who ran black Templars for the majority of the 2018 season. So, you know, your mileage may vary there, pal. And I figure if I'm going to go to LBO, play six games, Look, I, I'm being realistic. I know I've been on the top of the ITC, but you know my list. Uh, I've been out of practice for the last two months. My list that I've been playing all year has not um, aged well. Doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> and I just haven't had the practice that I like because I because I've been so busy. Um, I'm just starting to play practice games now, like a week before list deadline. Yeah. You know, I got no illusions about making top eight. So if I'm going to not make top eight, do I want to go and have fun at least playing the list that I love, playing the faction that I love? Or do I want to go kind of get annoyed playing, you know, an army that I just 
don't have my heart into it in the middle tables and just not have a great time and then potentially drop. So I'd much rather play chaos. So, okay. So with that in mind, what are you leaning towards in your chaos build right now? What is a, yeah. So I'm going down the possessed, the possessed route. So alpha legion possessed with a bunch of tricks. I'm still back and forth on, uh, like some of the support detachments. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm really liking the Night Lords, and I'm really liking the Word Bearers for support detachments. They bring a lot of utility and a lot of, like, tricks, which I think what Chaos is really good yeah. at is a lot of shenanigans. Um, so I've been, I was literally writing lists today at work, and, um, you know, I'm going to play in an event this weekend, and then depending on how I feel, I might make some, some changes. But uh, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, so what are your personal goals then? I mean, you've, you've already, you've already hedged your bets on, uh, on a top eight showing. Um, what are your, yeah. what, what would you say? And, gonna... and, and look, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I know a lot of people are, uh, have counted me out but I, and, and that's fine. And, um, you know, like my, my, uh, like my record speaks for itself. I, I had an excellent year. Um, you know, at, at some point. People, you know, come and go. So, you know, I have no, I have no issues with that. Um, my personal goals, I'm still focused on the hobby track. So, if anything, I'd like to win best chaos. I'd like to win the hobby track, which I'd be extremely proud of if I can finish in the top 20 of the ITC and win the hobby track. Mm -hmm. I'll be extremely proud of that because that just really shows, kind of speaks to the kind of player I, I, I am and I always have been, which is someone who's competitive, but someone who also really values the hobby side of, of this game um, to the point where, you know, part of the reason that I, I can't build this quickly is because I won't pay with paint with unpainted, I won't play with unpainted models and I have a very high standard of paint. So, you know, that's just, that's just my personality. And that means maybe I'm not as successful long-term because I can't adjust to the meta as fast. And that's kind of what's happened in this situation. But uh, I'll be very proud if I can do those things. Yeah, heck yeah. I think those are all uh, very reasonable goals. And maybe you'll dethrone um, Captain Nene from his uh, Renaissance Man streak. I think he's like... Renaissance Man? I think he's, I think he's won it like a million times at this point. Um, yeah, so I'll be very proud if I can do that. All right, so Jim, very dark horse. He's, 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 uh, he's sandbagging it for now. That's fine. I understand. Um, what would you say, what, what would your top eight predictions be? I mean, I know you're saying that, you know, you haven't been super deep in the game just as, you know, the meta's turned on its head, but what are you, what are your, what's your gut feeling here? What do you think, what do you think the top eight might look like? I think, um, I think, I mean, obviously I'd be, I'd be done with fighting the same Marines. Uh, I don't think, I don't think it's, I actually feel like the, there'll be maybe four Marine players slash Imperium players on the top. Um, I could I could see maybe three pure marine and then like an Admech sisters marine Imperium, yeah. uh, mix as one of the four. Yeah, an Imperium. Um, you know I I will definitely always put money to see Sean Yaden up there, so he's my Eldar pick. Um, I definitely feel like there'll be one chaos, whether it's myself or TJ or Matt Morisoli, who's who's a legendary coming from Australia, mm -hmm. or maybe Austin Wingfield uh, or even Justin Lois. Like all excellent chaos players, all attending. I'll have a, you know, they have, those are guys that win majors and always have a shot to win any event they attend. Now, whether they can, you know, we can kind of have a little bit of matchup luck and game luck and get through some of the really hard matchups, you know, that's yet to be seen. And I think we're all bringing some pretty heavy, heavy duty chaos lists. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to see a chaos there. Um, I definitely think we'll, we'll, if, I think if Richard or Brian Pullen play Tau, one of those will 
will be up there now. Poop, who is the king of the the cast, as they say? Ooh. Um, we'll uh, we'll we'll see. But uh, and then I would really, you know, I, I think we'll see one Zeno. So I I played Alex McDougall's Rig Runner list this weekend, and it's just it's super nasty. Um, and you know, I could potentially see an orc list making it if. Uh, again, the, the patented Pablo Martinez orcs in the top eight prediction. So, um, and then as far as people, you know, I think we'll definitely see. I think Shot will make it. I would definitely uh, wager a strong Brohammer presence, whether it's John Lennon or Richard or Mark Perry or Ruben Fernandez. Those guys have been doing excellent this year. They're really killing it, uh, and I'm I'm so proud of those guys because uh, you know I've been I've been uh, you know chatting with those guys all year, and it's just super exciting to see what they've been doing. Um, I, I think Nick I think Nick is actually the dark horse to make it to the top eight because he's had a very like up and down year. Uh, he's been super consistent, but like he hasn't had that kind of killer instinct that took, he hasn't won, you know, uh, Depticon, he didn't make the top eight. Um, Nova, he, uh, he went out um, early as well um, to uh, Ben Sherwin. He lost in, at Nova. Um, like London, I'm not sure quite, uh, I think London GT, um, I don't, I don't know if he's there. Like, he did, obviously, obviously his team went to DC, but he's had, like, he's had some mixed success, and it all, all, almost feels like there's always been one thing just just to, like, sign to him. So I'm, I'm interested to see if he can uh, pull it off and kind of, uh, you know, come out of out of, out of of the blue and, and, and cause an upset here um, and really kind of seal the deal. All right, so out of the litany of incredibly awesome uh, people and talent that you just uh, rambled through. I'm going to leave you with our, our final question for everybody. Other than yourself, you've already declared not winning, but I'll wait to see the final standings. Um, who do you think is going to win the LVO? I'm going to be really cool and go with my uh, brown, my, the other brown magic from across the sea, Manny Chima. Excellent choice. That's it. Anything you want to plug or, or, or say before I let you get back to your uh, painting marathon? Just follow me on uh, Instagram, Jim of the underscore paints. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully I don't get made fun of too much to, uh, based on how I do it. LBO. Now, as many of you may know, Jim has been a, a favorite of mine um, throughout this season, way, way back, almost uh, a year ago now. Um, your boy, the Falcon, uh, made a, a pledge uh, to vote for Jim Vessel as Prime Minister of Canada if he chose to run uh, way back uh, at last year's Nova when he took it, almost took it to Nick Nanavati on stream. And I've kind of continued to be on that uh, Vessel bandwagon through thick and thin. And uh, so good luck, Jim, and thanks for your time. May your travels into the land of the possessed bomb bring you to your goal of being on that $5 bill. You're a truer Canadian hero than William McKinley, so long as your opponent picks the right secondaries. We love you, boo. Tournament News. I'm Michael. I'm Alex. I'm Will. And we're the High Lords of Terror, and you're listening to 40K Stats. Any show on the road to LVO would be remiss if it did not include the other half of the ITC Bash Brothers from the early half of this season, the Morty to Jim Vessel's Magnus, the creator of the other Jim Vessel list, the just-a-boot Canadian merc with a mouth and our best-dressed guest, T.J. Lanigan. Three years ago, I really, really got into the competitive setting. Um, so this is my third year of going to LVO. Um, 
And uh, basically, uh, I used to go to a lot of the local events. I live in the Pennsylvania area, so my local events are like Pittsburgh. And they would get like 50 players. So it wasn't like terrible, but it's definitely not like the local of like New York or New Jersey where you've got like the top players playing there. Yeah, you get that um, that player, that quintessential moment as a player where you're like, do I want to be continue playing the army I love to play, but not do as well as you should be doing? Or do you want to go and play the powerful stuff and play and just be a better player? So tail end of seventh, I started playing uh, Chaos, actually. I played Demons. I played Screamer Star. And uh, I was like, you know, uh, basically all my friends who were Beast Coast members, which is the team I'm, I'm part of, they were like, you're just really hamstringing yourself by playing Tyranids. Um, because like you could do so much better and you're very good you're a very good player and you do well but you don't do as well as you could be doing if you just play like an actual high skill army um i went to nova for a couple years that was like my only big one and then finally like three years ago i was like let's see if we can make a you know let's see how good i actually really am at this um and uh i really liked it and i was like this is something i want to do more so then um Two years ago, I dipped my feet in it, went to a whole bunch more events. Um, and then this last year, 2019, was like the whirlwind year. I went to a lot of events. Like Jim, TJ has had an outstanding season, including accounting for two of the previous ITC leaders' losses on the year, but only managing to nip at JV's heels until the last couple of months. TJ has won eight GTs or majors this year and placed second in three others, boasting a 74-5-1 record in big events. That is the best overall win-loss rate of any players uh, that 40K Stats has tracked over such a large amount of games. While TJ may take a small amount of offense when people reference his, quote, Jim Vessel list, his take was actually far more successful, seeing top-table play from players other than himself at small GTs across the world. But just because his Blight Lords proliferated across the land did not mean everyone was ready for his ability to play them. Like, like when, you, when you say that, are you, are you saying, like, you're supposed to lose because of, say, a list mismatch or because they think you're a chump? The chump one, which is odd because I still get it. I won't say the event, but I've gone to probably three events this year. And like, I'll get to the table and people are like, I know exactly what your list does. I've studied your list. I know exactly how to beat you. And like, you're going to lose this game. And I'm like, okay. I mean, cool. Like, uh, whatever. I'm, I'm not, you know, it's fine. I'm just a guy who rolls dice. It's not, you know, like, my, you know, it's not like you're, you're playing, you know, we're not like world-class football players or baseball players where like you, you could go up to somebody and be like, I, I could outscore you in a game. Like we're just, you know, there is statistics to this game. There is, you know, luck to this game. So it's not the same, but like, it's always, I always find that interesting because in my youth, I guess, in playing the game competitively, I would never like, that's like walking up to Ganyo and be like, yeah, prepare to lose loser. <laughs> yeah. But like, Maybe they haven't heard me say your name all, enough. I literally get it all the time. I will probably every other event, I get someone who comes up to me and goes like, yeah, this should be a pretty easy game for me. I should win this, no problem. Really? Uh huh. <laughs> yep. I'm not even. I'm not even messing with you. Like, they're my friends have been there, and they're like, "What did just happen?" I'm like, "It's okay. We'll play the game, and then he'll see. It's fine. Not a big deal." But like, yeah, it's crazy, man. 
Much like Jim, TJ has also branched out from his old list in light of the current Space Marine meta, dipping into lists using the great Magnus the Red before settling into what seems to have become the new Chaos template. Those gosh darned persist. That all being said, TJ did have quite the fondness for the quote list. But I mean, if I had to be really honest, going to a table with the list and literally knowing that I could win any game no matter what just because of I literally had 150 reps with that list and have won like six GTs with that list is probably the one. So it, there's a lot of parts to that. There's a lot of moving parts to the list itself. So while it looks um, while it looks easy on paper, there are a lot of uh, like the psychic phase, picking the right powers, movement, when to jump the screen, you know, your Terminators, correct placement on them, you know, when they're supposed to attack, things like that. All those things together make for a very difficult list because um, on paper, it just seems like you just stand there and do and you just smite. But there's a lot of stuff to that um, game that is just different. Um, and it's knowing all those tricks to be able to get out of situations that you're not used to that really makes that list as powerful as it was. And of course, although rocking up to a table with that kind of raw power was probably always exciting, it's it's that first win that perhaps stands out for TJ when he looks back on his year. Here he is talking about his victory at Berry Bash. And uh, it was a very um, surreal moment for me because, like, uh, we we kind of joked about like whoever whoever won that game was going to get on the team, and then. Uh, it was my first big GT. That was like a hundred. That was like a hundred and seven man GT or something like that. And uh, I cried. I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that I was very, I was very, I was very, you know, passionate about that win. That was a big. That was a big step for me. Um, and uh, I was told after the game was done that like I originally wasn't on the rate. I was on the radar, but like I was definitely further down on the list. But after I won that game, I was definitely looked at because I was supposed to lose that game and all this other jazz and stuff like that. So that was a big moment for me. A big moment. It was indeed for that win propelled TJ onto his role on the team Canada, who, uh, which, which led to him being shouted out by team captain, Christopher Haynes as one of Canada's MVPs last year. And certainly uh, helped add to his resume amongst his many accolades this year that has led to his uh, ascension, one might say, from Team Canada to Team USA for the 2020 ETC in Luxembourg. But of course, we're not talking about that. Uh, the rest of the chat I had with TJ revolved around his preparations for the LVO, the list that he's decided to bring, and his predictions for who and what might win the whole thing. Okay, TJ, so what are you doing to get ready for the LVO? Lots of practice. I uh, went to a GT two weeks ago, and we won that. Um, that was right before Thanksgiving. So, uh, sorry, that was right, af uh, right after Thanksgiving. Um, so, um, <clears throat> for the next three weeks, I will be heavily practicing. Uh, there are no real GTs that I would want to go to. Golden Sprue is probably the last GT of the year, but if you got a ticket for Golden Sprue, Congratulations, because, yeah, um, it's super difficult to get a ticket for that. So I think we're going to do a test session with some of the top players in the world. Um, uh, I think Nick and myself are going to do some practicing together. Um, and uh, I might do some practice with Naden as well. 
So as much practice as I can humanly get my hands on in the next three weeks is what I'm going to do. Now, obviously, you're not going to be able to run the list anymore. So uh, will you be making your way over to the Possessed Bomb or some other Chaos variant? Yeah. Yep, I'm running the Possessed Bomb. So it's a very high skill level list. Not to toot my own horn, but it's just very difficult to play. Because, like, one mistake and you lose the game. Because it's not... You don't have 60 plague bearers to stand behind. It's just like, well, I misplaced that character. Or like, oh, no, I didn't block out my backfield. I guess I'm just going to die. So, like, it's very it's very difficult to play. So uh, I need to get as many reps as humanly possible with it, is what I'm trying to do. There is a variation to my list um, in the form of summoning. And knowing what to summon is probably what is going to be the big deal. Um because you don't summon the same thing every matchup. It's matchup dependent. So that's important for me to know what, you know, what I can summon, what I should summon for every matchup. And that's where I think the practice and the reps come in. But the actual list itself, I can't really change because points are where they are. Chaos is probably one of the only armies where you don't pay for anything, like upgrade-wise, because that's you just buy it. That's it. So, like, there's not a lot of movement where you're like, I could put this on there. I could put this on there. There's, you're pretty much set. Um, when you look at upgrades for Chaos lists, it's like wings, and that's it. Okay, so break it down for me. Why is the Possessed Bomb the way forward for the Chaos lovers out there? Uh, so they got a new strat from Faith and Fury that uh, allows them to be untargeted unless they're the closest model. So, like, first turn, you're not getting blown off the table like you used to, or tremor shelled like you used to, because you just get tremor shelled and die. Uh, but you can't get that anymore. They can't happen to you. So that's awesome. Um, and then they have another strat that, um, you can't deep strike within 12 inches of them as well. Um, so that really helps you for like sanguinary bomb or something that might deep strike in and do a whole bunch of damage to you. Uh, and then if you're further than 12 away, you get minus one to hit. So that really helps. And then faith in fury, uh, sorry, not faith in fury, the vigilance book, they got more buffs where they got a detachment that gives them plus one strength plus one attack and they get a, um, a warlord trait that gives them mortal wounds on sixes to wound as well so that's even more damage even more attacks and then shock assault gave them an additional attack so now that if you get the full spread off you're rolling five attacks through so five attacks on a unit that's 20 strong is like 100 attacks that hit on twos wound on twos re-rolling ones, re-rolling ones, and then do mortal wounds on sixes, and then do double damage on a four plus. So when you put it all together, it does a lot. All right, that sounds pretty gross. So when you take off your chaos hat made from the flesh of your enemies and you look out into the meta, what else do you see out there that uh, might be able to compete with Marines? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Seer Council, they got a whole bunch of stuff. They are very, very strong. Um, now they got points reductions as well as new strats in their books, in their uh, Phoenix Rising books as well. Ones that um, allow them to basically move all over the table. They can move three times in a turn. They can move on their normal phase. Then they can get a psychic power to move them again. And then they can get a third power by fighting. And then they get to fall back and get their full move when they fall back. So... We're talking like moving 40 inches up and then falling back. And then they have that new ability where all their powers, um, all their ones count as twos. 
Um, so they almost never fail a psychic power now. So it's very, for a list that needed psychic powers to go off or you just lose, they're pretty strong. And being able to basically, after you're done shooting, being able to get behind a wall where you can't be seen for the whole turn, it, that's pretty strong. Um, Tyranid's got some stuff too. I mean, they, they got some stuff in their book as well, Blood of Ball, um, that, you know, they give you some options for, for running them. I think the hot list of Charity Hammer this weekend that people were trying to run was Ridge Ridge Runners. So um, they were uh, these ridiculous Ridge Runner lists that people were doing well with. I think he said he went like eight and one on the weekend for that with that list. So that's an, the list that no one's seen before. Like, you know, it's just that's brand new. No one's ever seen that before. So that'll be cool to see it, um, see those kind of stuff in the meta. So. Yeah, I do find the LVO kind of need an 8th edition because it's it's a bit of a blind corner. Uh, you don't really know uh, how things are going to shape up because of how much changes really between the last major event and when the LVO finally unfolds. But at the end of the day, someone's got to win the whole thing. And I got to ask you, what what's your what's, what's your goal at the LVO? What, what are you looking to do this year? I'm going for it, man. I want, I want the top. Uh, I went last year, I finished five and one only losing to Brandon Grant by two points, um, in round five. And I think I finished 19th place or something like that. So I had one, one loss to the man who won it all last year, but this year I won't take no for an answer. Uh, at the very least I'd like to six and oh, I think, um, based on the amount of event, the events I've gone to and based on the skill level that I've increased myself this year, I would be unhappy with anything less than six and oh. That's just being honest. All right, bold call. So outside of yourself, how do you see the rest of the top eight shaping up for the LBO? I'd like to I'd like to see a nice a nice mix. I know that um I don't think that Tau is going to do as well as uh people are hoping it's gonna do. Sorry, one chaos player, uh I would say two Blood Angels players. One Eldar player. No, probably two Eldar players. That's two, two, one, and then probably three Space Marines. And, and like, two Blood Angels is, like, really... is It's probably more like Imperium slash Iron Hand slash Blood Angels type sh stuff. It's probably, like... I probably wouldn't even say two Blood Angels. I'd probably say, like, two Imperiums, two straight Iron Hands slash Imperial Fists, and then... Two Eldar, one Chaos, and yeah, that's pretty much the, the, the main jazz. All right, so we always like to end off with this one. Outside of yourself, who do you see winning it all? Uh, you know, Nick hasn't had a win in a while, um, in a couple of months now, so I feel like he's in that always the bridesmaid, never the bride type situation at this point this year. Um, he's had a lot of success earlier in the year. But uh, I, I got a, you know, he went to Charity Hammer this weekend, probably the best practice you're going to get all year. Um, I'd have to put him, money on him. Uh, I think Nick, if I had to pick. Or Manny. Manny's my, uh, Manny's my dark horse because, like, nobody in the U.S. who's not, like, a super competitive player knows about Manny. So Manny's going to run some weird stuff that people have never seen before. It's going to be great. But, like, in the United States, you ask people who Manny is, and they don't know. But, like, um, I was just telling someone else this, too. Like, 
I basically the same thing you said. Like, if Manny goes to an event in Europe, he just wins it. He's not the dark horse. He is the Messiah over there. Like, he literally just wins everything he goes to. But here, nobody knows him, so I feel like people just aren't going to give him his, you know, respect, I guess you'd say. Well, Manny's been getting a lot of respect on this show and uh, also from some of your fellow competitors. So uh, we'll still have to see how Mr. Chima uh, lives up to the hype. Before we let you go, anything you'd like to plug or mention? So uh, we just started a new uh, business up. Um, Nick Notabody and myself, uh, Matt Root, and a couple of other um, key 40K movers in the community um, called Art of War. Uh, we were doing uh, podcasts before, but now we're doing coaching and uh, list building help and things like that. So uh, I think they're going to be attaching it to Frontline Gaming's uh, main page very soon because um, we're working in concert with those guys. Um, but uh, for the time being, we have our own website called theartofwar40k.com. You should check us out. we got a whole bunch of, like I said, the podcasts, uh, some articles, and some coaching and list building advice. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I am also a, uh, champion creature caster. I, uh, own a whole bunch of their miniatures. They are kind enough to let me use their, their name and their products, which are quite fantastic. They've got some of the best, uh, demon princes slash, you know, heralds and things like that, that I've ever seen. I use them for basically every event I can go to that they'll allow me to use them as conversions. So, uh, definitely check those out. They also have a great paint line as well so um yeah so that's all the good stuff and that's all from your resident black tie affair tj lanigan shine on you crazy diamond here's to seeing you in that top eight tournament news hey everybody i'm paul murphy from forge the narrative and you're listening to the 40k stat center let me tell you the tale of a small boy with big dreams he wears a hat he clearly stole from an octogenarian. He grew a beard, so he'd be allowed into events and bars. He understands your intent better than you do. He is John Lennon, and he is very probably going to win the LVO. That's my call, anyway. Despite looking exactly like the template for a Florida man and having the facial hair of a year-old avocado, he is way better at 40K than all of you. Um... Honestly, I've I never really played any other kind of 40k. Um, I started playing the game at a relatively young age. I think uh, sixth grade is when I got my first uh, plastic crack. Um, really, it was just that I had class Monday through Friday because I was in middle school. So the only time I was able to play was on a weekend. The only time I could get multiple games in was Saturday at a local RTT. So I just went to RTTs because I didn't know that there was another way to play the game. You know, that was the one day of the week I could go to the game store, so I might as well get in this game, game as many games as I could. So I just, you know, got demolished three times in a row a couple times. Um, and really, um, I've just always been a competitive person. Um, might be a symptom of being the youngest in a family. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it immediately started out with that. Um, I went to my first uh, GT when I was, uh, ooh, I was in high school. Um, I was like, I wasn't old enough to drive. I think I was 15 when I went to my first GT. Because I had to uh, have my dad drop me off. Um, I actually did pretty well. I went four and two. Um, you know, as a 15-year-old, uh, beat a couple players who would actually themselves grow up to be good. Um, it just—it's just always been a competitive thing for me. I've never really—I've—I've uh, I've played a couple narrative games now that I'm aware that they exist, but it was never the main focus. 
um, always the the thing was I'm a guy who wanted to play sports but was never remotely viable at them. Like I, you know, so I, I just had a competitive drive and no outlet for it. That was not me just, you know, getting tackled by people a hundred pounds heavier than me. John is currently sitting fifth in the ITC and for good reason. He has won four GTs and majors this year, finished second in three others, including an undefeated streak at SoCal Open, and has never finished lower than eighth at any of the 20 events he has attended this season. He has a record of 54-10-2 this year in GTs and majors, scoring an average of 30.66 victory points to his opponent's 21. While many players struggled with the switch to the Marine meta, John immediately took to a deadly White Scars-Iron Hands combo that has seen extreme success and has been copied repeatedly across the world. John is in a really good place going into the LVL, and a lot of people will be watching him closely, especially Pete. Here's the rest of the chat I had with John about his preparations for the LVL. Competitive 40K has grown a lot in the last three years, and I think we've learned a lot of host household names. I'd say John Lennon getting up there in mentions. Um, what is it about, uh, you know, this last year and a bit that uh, sort of kicked you into, you know, being, uh, you know, going up to that next level? Um, I'd really say it was just I, I hit a point where I suddenly had more free time than anticipated. And I've always wanted to do this. Um, I mean, I've, I've wanted to like go to Nova, specifically the Nova Invitational, pretty much since that it existed. Like little high school, John was reading about the Nova Invitational. I'm sure Ganya won it seven times in a row or something. Um, and I wanted to do that. Uh, really, it was just about two years ago, really the dawn of eight. Um, I kind of been doing my thing where I go to local GTs in the state of Florida. I went to ATC once a year other than that i didn't leave the state of florida for games um i went to the first atc of eighth edition and i got demolished um i had never had a losing record at a gt before and i went two and four uh winning my first two and then losing four in a row um that was rough so i kind of hit a point where i was like all right i'm either going to stop playing this game or i'm going to go hard so you were you were maybe a big fish little pond kind of syndrome coming into atc yeah i'd been to atc a couple times before but I, I'd always gone with very not you know, kind of casual teams where I'd lose a game and then we'd kind of float in the bottom. And this mm -hmm. time I went with four players who were experienced and actually good at the game. And I was right. I was a little guy on the team and I got demolished. And I decided, OK, I'm going to start taking this seriously or I'm not going to do it. So uh, I finally stopped playing non-flying Tyranids. And <laughs> it turns out everything else is better than non-flying Tyranids. So right now you're well known, uh, well at least uh, anyone who follows the, the the competitive scene. Like you're known for uh, some some great finishes with your uh, your white scars and iron hands. But um, that's not where you started. What what would you say is the uh, is is where your your heart lies as far as factions are concerned? Uh, it's absolutely Tyranids. Um, I started with Tyranids. I played them for exclusively for about seven years. Um, a lot of those were years of suffering when like Grey Knights or Space Wolves were at their peak and Space Wolves. Like there just literally wasn't a game with Tyranids versus Space Wolves or Grand Knights. It just didn't didn't exist. You lost. There was nothing else to it. There's no amount of generalship that could save you. Um, Tyranids were definitely where my heart uh, lay. I really um, I did not get another army really until the Genius Thriller Cult Codex came out at the end of seventh. Um, once that happened, however, um, that kind of hit when I was in a good spot. Um, you know, I was out of school. I was working full time. I actually had small amounts of disposable income. I wasn't buying a unit on my birthday and a unit at Christmas. 
Yeah. Um, so I just bought a Genius Twitter Cult army, and it was amazing. Um, and then once 8th edition hit, I actually started opening up to other armies, like uh, playing Imperium, uh, dabbled a little bit in Filthy Space Elves. Uh, really, is 8th edition where I started getting multiple armies, but before that, straight Tyranids all the way. Okay, so what about what about your uh, your year this year? Because I, I do feel like it has been quite the successful run. Um, can you kind of and, and you've sort of been? I mean, you've been appearing regularly on Stat Center as long as we've been around, which is uh, June. Um, and I'm pretty sure I knew your name before that. So what, what's what's the shape of your year been? Sort of like post LVO. Um, so post LVO, um, really with the Genius Thorcult Codex, because um, that launched on LVO Day. Uh, I think I started off, um, I won a, like a couple small GTs with Genius Thorcult. Um, definitely this was a good year uh, to go travel for me. So that was kind of my push was I wanted to make this season a travel season. Uh, last year I didn't travel even if maybe I could have, just because I was kind of saving up for this being the big push. Didn't really go anywhere besides LBL. Okay. Um, so I was able to hit um, Bay Area Open, SoCal, Nova, and I'll be going to LVO. So and ATC. So I was trying to hit all the super majors I could. Um, obviously I wasn't crossing the pond, and then Adepticon just wasn't a good date for me. But kind of the story of the year has been that I have been top eight of every event I have been to since last LVO. So every event this season, GT super major, whatever it may be, I have finished eighth place or better. And that's, that's pretty good. Kind of been my um that's kind of been that's really been the story because not a lot of those were first place. <laughs> right. Uh, I've definitely been right in that pack at the end, but I, I haven't finished on top too often. Um that would be Richard Siegler, you know, staring down at me. My co pilot, the Falcon, speaks mm -hmm. incredibly highly of you, John. As uh and I'd say that's one of the highest compliments you can get, because I don't think that, I mean, like, there's a lot of people who stream, but they, I don't think there's many people who actually watch every single one of them. So, like, yeah. not only does does, does uh, Pete have a, a unique position in understanding, um, you know, meta stats and, you know, what's winning, but I think he's got a unique position to judge who's winning and uh, who's got the, the, the you know, greatest quantities of skill. And you're always mentioned in that conversation. So this year... What would you say would be, you know, if if not like, you know, your biggest win, but maybe just the tournament that you look back on and think, man, I didn't, you know, like I was just in the zone that like you, you got to that flow state and, you know, you, you walked away from you thought, you know, I couldn't have done better. That would absolutely be ATC for me. Um, and really, I don't think that was as a player so much as it was as a captain and being in charge of pairings. Um, I, the team that I've been on for ATC the past two years up until this one, I hit eighth place both times. And that's awesome. You know, a top eight is always kind of the goal going into any given event. But I really wanted to push past that point. And I actually made an entirely new team this year. It was not a single person that I've ever been on a team with before, but all members of Brohammer. Um, uh, you know, we got some young kid named Richard Siegler who was not actually that good at the time. Um, <laughs> you know, it's hard to imagine now. But really, uh, we went undefeated when, and we got second place. That was definitely the highlight of the year for me, just because, um, uh, like, I think our, our day one, uh, when, you know, game one, you're supposed to have, like, a random pairing against someone easy. And we immediately got paired just randomly into Andrew, Andrew Gagne's Beast Coast team. Someone's got to play him. Yeah, someone's got to play him. And uh, we beat them. And somehow we scored just enough points while doing so to round two get paired into Nick Nanavati's Beast Coast team. So <laughs> that was kind of how that event started. And 
you know, given the fact that we just never had an easy round and we still uh, finished undefeated with a tie, got second place. I was, I was very proud of that just because that was like my first event where I thought like Brohammer the team was absolutely putting their foot down as we are competitive. Uh, like we, you know, we're right up there with East Coast, um, you know, Battle Bros, Moogle Legion, all the other old competitive teams. Like that was the moment where I was like, nope, we are just as good as them. Hey, spite, spite will get you a long way when mixed with a little bit of dedication and skill. So let's shift gears abruptly uh, and go to what's coming at us right now, which is, of course, the Las Vegas Open, the largest tournament in the history of tournaments. What are you thinking of playing? I've got to run with the Space Marine train right now, unfortunately. Um, it's just what I have so much practice with. It's what I've been really fine-tuning for really about the last four or five months. Um, I'm probably going to end up on an imperial fist list um if, a, if you watch the charity hammer stream um i would imagine that that list that i was running that weekend is very close to where i'll end up barring some sudden change you know some sudden uh secret tech that i might find but uh really it, it's going to be space marines um almost certainly imperial fists but you know there's a small chance that iron hands or white scar sneaks in there so why the why the move to something like imperial fist that you were running this last weekend uh honestly it was really just that um Actually, someone kind of asked me to write an Imperial Fist list uh, while I was very happy with my white scars. So I just kind of randomly wrote one, put it together, saw what it looked like. And kind of once I looked at it, I realized I cannot beat this list with my white scars. It was just a very, it was just a very simple. I just did something for a friend and then I looked at it and like, well, this is the way. Um, just the way I see it, um, Imperial Fists have uh, in the psychic awakening world that we live in where maybe white scars didn't have to play. I uh, really think that Imperial Fists, with their extra damage, um, with the resurgence of Elbar, um, you know, the introduction of some of the the new Faith and Fury stuff for Space Marines, like all the buff characters, I think Imperial Fists and Iron Hands benefit the most from those. White Scars are a little too mobile to be tied down to uh, characters that really are only walking around now on foot. Mm. Um, so to kind of get the most out of that, I, I feel like Iron Hands or Imperial Fists are where you're going to end up. And at that point, um, in the mirror match directly, I think Imperial Fists win um in an equal skill game almost every time just because of the damage buffs and the efficiency buffs for shooting you know even intercessors that move and take the heavy penalty with imperial fist are still more accurate thanks to the sixes exploding than an iron hand intercessor who ignores the heavy penalty and of right. course if they hold still then it gets even worse you know they ignore cover uh they just have so many inherent buffs that you don't have to spend command points on that um i really feel like they're they're just stronger than the white scars right now um also it's a lot easier to play um, and you kind of get to focus more on those small decisions because you're not micromanaging every aspect of your army. Like you right. can just plop, you know, plop half of it on the board and just kind of watch it table your opponent for you. You don't even have to interact with it. How do you feel? Like, are you kind of excited trying to figure out what the moves and counter moves are here and assessing what might be the right meta call? Absolutely. Um, kind of playing that meta game. Honestly, that's one of my favorite parts of 40k. It's why I love like team events so much in pairings. Um, I really love trying to account for what everyone else is doing. So really what I've been working on the past about, honestly, a solid month since I, I had the chapter of group points, um, it's been looking at what are people going to do to beat Space Marines and what kind of army will that not work on? And that's really what I've been doing. I've been trying to find all the different ways, all of the non-Space Marine factions, find out what they're doing to beat Space Marines, and then figure out which Space Marine army is best in the mirror match. Um, I'm utterly convinced that Imperial Fists are the best Space Marines in the mirror. Um, that one I'm pretty sold on. Uh, now I'm just looking at what everyone else is doing to beat Marines and uh, kind of figure out what where that's not going to work me. 
so many people are teching for centurions. I don't know if centurions are the way forward anymore because every single player, <laughs> you know, after you know myself and a couple other people had some really good results with centurions, it just seemed that every single person opened their book and said, "All right, how do I get damage four? And sure. you know, every, almost every single book has that option somewhere. Um, similar stuff to that, you know, people see um, Ironstone Dreadnoughts and they're like, all right, how, how do I get in combat to tag that? How do I ignore that? How do I get more indirect fire so I don't die to, to grab pods, whatever the case may be? How do I get my flying screens in? Uh, people are, you know, Chaos Space Marines, there's so much more jank in the game. I'm really just trying to keep track of all the other armies and see what the best anti-Marine tools are. Um, as a committed Marines player for the moment, um, what, what are the, um, maybe emergent options? Cause obviously the, the, uh, the, I guess pre Nova meta really just has the Siegler answer to Marines, I guess. Yeah. Um, nothing else. Ha and that's really two guys, uh, who had success, um, out of many thousands. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so what do you think, uh, now that there are some more layered on rules and, and things like that, uh, what do you think has maybe the best shot? What's keeping you up at night? Uh, as a, a, a counter marine play, um, probably the chaos possessed bomb. Um, the biggest um, marines are so efficient at what they do, but um, kind of the two things that they they lack that I used to have in other armies. They don't have a unit that just flies forty inches across the board and gets in combat. They don't have backed, and so something like the um, like the possessed bomb where it's you know, it's incredibly deadly in melee. Um, I watched three possessed pick up a full squad of centurions that I put transhuman on, and they come in units of twenty. I'm like, oh, like, like it just doesn't matter what I am. If the possessed unit gets the charge, you know, I'm not going to make them roll dice. Like it's over. Whatever, right. whatever was within twelve inches of them after I fire Overwatch and see what survives, whatever was within twelve inches dies. There's no way around it. Um, and really, like the Alpha Legion ability to deliver them by making them untargetable. That's the kind of stuff that I'm working on right now and how I'm going to get around that. Uh, specifically, all the nerglings out of line of sight that people are going to be using because they're relatively efficient into Thunderfire shooting. Thunderfires do not kill them at the rate they kill everything else at that points cost. So working on those problems from an Alpha Legion point of view, and Alpha Legion is really the only chaos I'm worried about. I'm not worried about Night Lords. Um, shutting off the Vox's Spiritum is cool, but... I don't have any one aura that just completely powers the army. Um, I tried to spread my auras around six different characters. So if I lose one of them, yeah, so be it. Um, I'm not as concerned about that that aspect. Uh, and Eldar. And Eldar are weird because some Eldar are playing, um, literally just playing a game where it's like, I hope I go first against Marines. Like, here's yep. 13 Eldar vehicles. I totally get it. If Fists get to shoot that, it dies. But if they go first, they kill 30-something intercessors. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I'm like, oh no, like I really don't want to want to rest the one game, the one, the entire game on that one roll off. Um, those extreme Eldar lists and the possessed list are what scare me the most. Um, I'm actually, right. I'm actually also afraid of Ridge Runners. I just don't think anyone's crazy enough to do it. Well, there's one man crazy enough. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just not going to play the Canadian <laughs> podcast nemesis. Podcast Alex nemesis. Google. Oh, love that guy. This might be an obvious question, but what is your goal for the LVO? Um, my goal is top eight. Um, I've been to two LVOs so far. Uh, first time I went, I went four and two. Second time I went five and one. You know, the next step is obvious. Logical progression. Logical progression. I have to go six and up. 
Um, at that point, I don't really care about winning the ITC as much. Um, I mean, obviously, if I win the ITC, that is amazing. But the goal is definitely to get a uh, best ITC team uh, for Brohammer, because right now Brohammer is ranked number one, but LVO is such a huge amount of points and there's so many teams kind of log jammed right at the top. You know, we happen to have that one extra event right now, you know, that one little win by secret that pushed us over everyone else. But we definitely don't have it locked up. And that's what I want the most is I want the whole team to take on the win like that. I think it's awesome that that uh, you're hoping for Brohammer to topple Beast Coast. Yeah. I think Beast Coast has won it as long as I've been watching. Yeah. Have uh, they ever lost? Ever since I was aware of ITC, Beast Coast has won best team. So, so yeah, that, that's, that, that's what I want. Is, you, know, you know, a different person wins the ITC every year. There's no, you know, defending champ to knock off, but Beast Coast keeps winning. Like, I, now we got to beat them. That's simple. Right on. All right. So, what are your uh, what would your top eight predictions be? And you can do players, you can do factions. Factions probably easiest, but what would you say? Um, I mean, there's the stereotypical line about jockeys not horses, but I think that the eight best players there will be bringing. Um, I mean, honestly, it's going to be four space marine lists. Um, I'm actually going to go ahead and say that there's not going to be a random dark horse this year. You know, we okay. we always we always make that little prediction like oh. And there'll be a random orc player. There will not. I don't think there'll be an orc player in the top. Only eight. Pablo. Only Pablo made, made those predictions. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm willing to bet that all eight people in the top eight are people who have been interviewed on Stat Center before. People who are, you know, maybe they won't all be Nick Nonavati level, but they'll all be names that you've seen before. Um, I don't think we're gonna have a uh, dark horse. I just think that it's grown so much, and and literally everyone's going to be there. I think that. With the ghost round especially, it's going to be eight people that you know about. Um, yeah. Four Space Marines, uh, one Eldar, two Chaos, um, uh, probably one Tau. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm sure you know who I'm thinking of there. Um, if Richard Siegler brings Tau, I think he's going to make it. Um, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say one Tau. I'm going to say one Richard Siegler. So Four Space <laughs> Marines, uh, you know, he, yeah, he's, you know, he's the golden goose for Brohammer right now. I'm going to keep riding that. Uh, four so, Space Marine, two Eldar, one Chaos, and Richard Seeker. All right. So then I'm going to ask the next question. Other than yourself, who's your pick to win it all? Ooh. Um, well, that's the secret. I, I totally think it's me. Um, <laughs> that's why it's other than uh, yourself. Oh, difficult. Oh, that's, that's actually really hard. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, which Space Marine player am I betting on? Because I feel like it's going to be one of those. Uh, Nick Nonavati, he's probably, um, yeah, the, Nick, Nick Nonavati would be my guess. Just because he and Richard have had so many close games that I feel like it, it's time for the coin to fall the other way. And Nick hasn't actually, other than obviously ETC, I feel like Nick hasn't won a ton of events this year. He's just been second or third at almost every major he's been to. He's been very near the top, and I don't think he's brought it all home. So I, I would guess Nick. If I, if I had to put someone besides myself there. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. This is going to be a, a, a good slice of, of insight from you. And um, yeah, anything you want to plug or say before I uh, let you go back to your life? No, not really. I just, uh, we're really looking forward to LVO. Um, we're getting a lot of people from Brohammer to go to LVO this year. And I'm just so excited because um, I have a lot of teammates that I play against um, locally that maybe haven't gotten to travel. And this was kind of built up to be our year, like within the club. So 
We've got a lot more, like you're going to see all the Brohammer guys, you know, me, Mark Perry, Ruben Fernandez, Richard Martin, you know, Siegler, we're all going to be at, uh, at LVO boat. There's going to be a lot of our, the local guys going as well. And, and I'm excited for them. Like I'm excited that they get to see, you know, the Mecca 40 K, the big super majors that they've never attended before. So no, I'm just excited for LVO and uh, excited to see uh, what Brohammer can do. And there you have it. While Florida may have a hard time producing quality players, it seems to have at least figured out a decent template. Maybe the rest of you should take some notes. Tournament news. Hey guys, this is John Lennon, Daniel Smith, and Jimmy Prescott with Florida Man 40K and Team Brohammer. And you're listening to 40K Stat Center. In the last five months, there has been one name that has struck fear into every Space Marine player's heart. One name that has sparked cold sweats, confused looks, and an instinctual call to Nerf Tau. His name is Richard Siegler. He is America's sweetheart and the bane, or boon, depending on how you see it, of every middle-aged woman in the greater Tallahassee area. What better way to round out this episode than to talk to the number one player in the ITC, the proverbial king of the hill, the one, the only, Richard Ziegler. So I started playing 40k way back in 3rd to 5th edition, but never went to tournaments seriously. It was mostly kind of garage hammer stuff, but um, I took a break from the game, didn't play 6th or 7th edition, and then with 8th, I heard a lot of good press about it. I was in France doing research and, you know, wanted to actually go out and meet people. So I went to the local games workshop, you know, met a lot of great guys and started playing again. And then the following year, uh, fall of 2018, I started going to tournaments and I've just been addicted to it since then. So I've been going to tournaments pretty much nonstop this year, this ITC season. Yes, we've noticed. <laughs> what, what's hooked you so hard about competitive 40K? So I've always been interested in competitive strategy games. Uh, StarCraft Brood War was in particular my big game for a long time. And so um, I just love the atmosphere of 40K. It's one of my favorite universes because it's this you know incredible mix of classical Greco-Roman myths um, and a lot of other stuff along the way, medieval history. Um, and as a historian myself, I just find that really compelling. So, um, you know, I, for competitive wise, um, I think the first couple of tournaments and the local group here really inspired me to keep playing. Uh, Florida has an extremely competitive but friendly gaming group, um, and Team Brohammer is a big part of that. And I think those guys have really inspired me to, you know, get into 40k really, um, you know, full hog. Richard Siegler is a force of nature of late and has become a bit of a household name in the competitive 40k community. He is 53, 6 and 4 in competitive GTs and majors and has outscored his opponents 29.8 to 21.3. He has won four majors this year, including the Atlanta Open and the Nova, and finished no lower than 7th at any of the 11 he has attended. Most importantly, he has done it all with Tau, a faction that has actually performed at a middling rate for most of the season, and buoyed only by the results coming from Signation himself and his compatriot in the ITC Top 10, Brian Pullen. Here's the rest of my interview with the big swinging dick of Tau, Richard Siegler. Tell us a little bit about your year and where where you, you came on strong, obviously in the second half. But uh, you know what what was the process as you went through the the year this year? So I started off mostly playing RTTs at the beginning of the season, kind of just getting my feet wet, testing out different ideas. I had been running units like broadsides and sixty plus fire warriors for a long time. 
And gradually, I just started adapting to the meta, especially the local Florida meta. Uh, I went, I started playing triple Riptide inc and gradually increased the amount of drones that I was running. Mm -hmm. And from there, I started to have more and more success as I kind of tweaked the list to fit my, my own play style. Um, and did pretty well at a bunch of GTs and majors, but didn't end up getting that first big win until uh, Nova. You know, you seem to be one of the one of the certainly one of the uh, on the vanguard of drone usage. Uh, why? <laughs> what do you think it's been? Why do you think that isn't stunningly obvious? That if you make, you know, the best units Tau have able to survive deep into the game, um, the drones are worth it. You know, like why? Why do you think you know you seem to be one of the first skill players anyway to really make the most of that archetype? I think the big reason is that a lot of Tau players are focused on doing as much damage as possible as quickly as possible. They're they wanted to design lists that table people, and if you're paying you know four or five hundred points in shield drones, that's a lot of guns to not have in your list. So there's a real limitation there. Um, and so a lot of people had been running triple Riptide, triple Broadside. And then, you know, maybe a commander or two, and then a couple drones. Right. Um, and so the problem with that list is it's very mobile, and it's trying to take advantage of Shadow Sun's double Kalyun, but it leaves you very vulnerable on the mission and to being outplayed. Mm. And so triple Riptide with triple commander um, is just much more mobile. Um, it can play the mission much better, and so that's where I gradually uh, moved. So what was the narrative for you coming into Nova? Because, like, I, hilariously, you weren't even supposed to go. Um, yeah. how many G had you, had you bagged, you'd bagged at least one or two GTs by then. I know you, you had the Iron Man one. Yeah. I won an Iron Man GT, um, you know, a month or so before that I had finished third at two other GTs, uh, two other major, one GT and one major. And then I had finished second at a different major because I got to play against 65 point obliterators and only lost by two points. <laughs> I remember so that one. That would have actually been my first major win but uh, narrowly lost out on that. So going into Nova, I was just, you know, I also did pretty well at BAO. I got a third overall there, only losing to the, you know, Jim Vessel, who was, you know, number one in the ITC at the time. Mm -hmm. So I had some close runs, but uh, Nova was the first really big one. What were your thoughts coming into Nova? Were you feeling like you were hitting a stride or did that sort of happen out of nowhere for you? I felt like I was really hitting a stride. I did super well at ATC, and we had designed the list specifically to be an all-comers, really difficult-to-beat list. And so going into Nova, I really tailored specifically for two matchups, uh, Gene Stiller Colt and the Eldar Flyer matchup. And I felt if I could win both of those, that I'd had a really good chance against the rest of the meta. And I ended up playing three GSC players in a row um, those last three rounds to actually take the tournament. Right. So that actually really paid off. And then one of those was a uh, teammate and uh, former senpai, John Lennon, <laughs> am I right? Yeah, it was John Lennon, the Gene Stealer kid. The Gene Stealer kid. No longer. Uh, no longer. And then, uh, and then that, that, so that's where you enter, uh, I think, popular 40K consciousness. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, obviously winning Nova will do that for you. Um, so there's dozens of nerds now who have your t-shirt. What happens, what happens next? Cause I, I mean, you do, you, you, you rattle off some pretty big victories here. Mostly it was just fine tuning what I had been doing. Um, I felt like that meta was just very, for the particular list I was running, it was very favorable for town. Mm. I didn't feel like I had any weak or troublesome matchups, maybe a couple if there was lighter terrain, uh, like pure admec or pure guard, those could be a little tough. Right. 
Um, but I felt like I could still outplay people in those situations with how I use the assault phase in wrapping units and shield drones. So going in, I, you know, I just felt very, very comfortable in that meta. You know, I took off, I was able to win Warzone Atlanta, which was another nine ITC event. Um, one best overall at SoCal, um, going five at one. Um, and then I ended up winning pro tabletop, which was because of the rules cutoff, also a similar type of uh, meta. I will now segue us seamlessly towards why we're even talking in the first place. LVO's coming up. Here we go. What are you playing? I haven't fully decided, but the vast majority of my practice has been with Tau. It's been with the lists I've been playing. Uh, I've made a couple little tech um, choice switches due to chapter approved. Um, I really like stealth suits in the new meta for you know, pregame de early deployment and for, you know, very early on tagging different things like thunder fires. They can be very annoying. I also like Anva, the Supreme Ethereal, who lets you get two of the invocations. So you can do reroll ones to hit and the six of Fino Pain and Army White reroll morale for all your two man drone units. Yeah, he's in my new list um, because I saved um, 12 points from Fusion Blasters going down from my pro tabletop list. It was really easy just to squeeze him into the list. He's also he's also very trolly because when you're shooting at him, he just takes your AP and adds it to his save. So against anything with high AP, you can use him to screen if you want. He takes all the high AP and then um, you know adds it, and so he has like a two up save against almost anything good. <laughs> cool, Anva, hell yeah, great list tech. And aside from that, same core, same core, uh, over fifty drones, triple Riptide, triple Commander. Um, it's what's good. Uh, you need it in the Marine meta, uh, as many shield drones as possible. And in that, and that's that is where you because I've heard some rumors maybe moving away from Tau. So you were clearly dabbling somewhere. You had a maybe wearing a mustache and testing out some Marine lists <laughs> in a local uh, game store or something. I'm still playing uh, test games with Marines, so I haven't made a final decision. But I'm going to take whatever gives me the best chance to make top eight. That's my main goal. Okay, don't don't read ahead. I'll ask you about your. <laughs> actually, that is literally my next question. What do you think? What, what's your goal for uh, for getting to the LVO here? There's so many fantastic 40k players in the community that it's really hard to ever set your goal as winning a major or a super major, and let alone LVO. You know, the epitome of everything. So, my goal is top eight. I think getting into the top eight, depending on who else makes it, is going to give me the best chance to actually win the ITC overall, which is my first goal. Um, so I'm going to do everything I can to go six and zero and get into that, um, that top eight or seven and zero if I have to play the ghost round. And then my second goal is to win best team with team Brohammer. We have a lot of really good guys. We actually have the number one spot so far and we're hoping to dethrone beast coast, um, which nobody had seen coming. John Lennon also said that that was one of his big goals and I think it's awesome. But uh, anyway, as, as I was saying, like, how do you how do you feel about that? How do you how do you uh, do you enjoy the fact that, you know, there's a, a, lo a lot of shadows on the wall coming into LVO that we don't actually, you know, know there's there's no like coming into Nova. You knew what the meta was coming into LVO. Maybe not as much. Am I am I right or wrong there? Yeah, I mean, I think the meta by and large is going to be Marines, particularly Iron Hands and Imperial Fists, maybe a little bit of Raven Guard as well. Um what exactly people are going to run. Um, there's all sorts of different builds. You could see the six flyers. You could see vehicle heavy lists taking advantage of the master of the forge. You could see these apothecary, more infantry based lists. So I've just been practicing against all of those, um, seeing how my list does, what kind of tweaks I have to make. 
Um, but it's exciting. I prefer playing in kind of these new metas, you know, and seeing how my list stands up against them. Um, so I'm excited. You know, if you were that meme and you're the dude with his girlfriend and then the girl in the red dress goes by, what army for you is the is that woman in the red dress? Iron Hands. They are, have all of the good tower rules for free, basically. <laughs> yeah. And they're e much easier to play um, because with Tau, if you slip up in the movement phase, you know, you can very easily just lose a game. Yeah, I've done it um, countless not, times. Not simply get punished. Yeah, I've seen, you know, when you get your uh, Pathfinders wrapped by Corn Berserkers, it's a, it's going to be a bad time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> We're not supposed to talk about that, dude. <laughs> that the... You you could have mentioned uh, l literally a dozen different ways I've lost in the deployment phase. <laughs> let's wrap this up for you. Let's let's lobby up a couple softballs here. What's your top eight? What do you think? You can say factions, players, whatever you want, but factions is what everyone else has been talking about. What do you think makes the top eight? What do you think it's going to be broken down like? I think at least uh, half the top eight is going to be Marines. I think we'll see probably at least one to two Eldar players up there. And then I'd say at least one to two Chaos players. I think by far those are the three most powerful factions. Um, I think it's going to be very hard uh, for Tau to make it because it's going to be matchup dependent. Mm. There's a lot more trickier matchups now with um, Chaos getting pretty much every single good tool against Tau, depending on which of the sub-factions you take. Uh, so that's the matchup I'm practicing the most against, mm -hmm. followed by Marines. Um, but I think those are the safest bets. Excellent. All right. Um, you just you just maybe set us all up to not be so shocked if you're running Iron Hands suddenly. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did not name uh, Tau in your top eight there. I'm just going to point out. Uh, the uh, final question then, other than yourself, who is your pick to win the LVO outright? John Lennon. That guy has been incredible all season. He nearly won SoCal. If there was an extra round, um, he would have had a really good close game with Brian Pullen. So that guy is due a win. Um, he is incredible. And I, I really hope he does win. I'm rooting for him. Wow. Um, my second pick would be Nick Nanavati. He's also due another big win. And uh, he's become a very good friend of mine over the last couple of months. And uh, I'm really excited to get to know him better and uh, play against him more often in the future. Yeah, well, enough people are giving him love, so yeah, saying John Lennon because he kicks ass, and so do you. And thank you for your time. Anything you wanna wanna plug? Yep, starting in February with the new ITC season, um, myself, Nick Nanavati, and Mark Perry are being sponsored by an esports team, Obey Alliance, to produce high quality um, 40k content for you guys on Twitch and uh, YouTube. So if you're looking for high quality match play streams and live games, uh, check us out. We'll have all those details soon but it'll be under the brand name Art of War. And you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, uh, etc. Tournament news. Hi guys, I'm Manny Chima, one of the founders of Glasshammer Gaming and the head coach for the Glasshammer list writing and coaching service. And you're listening to the 40K Stat Center. You know, just a few short weeks ago, Danny McDevitt and I, the Falcon, we got into a bit of a tiff over who was the most attractive person in 40K. Um, I thought it was myself. Danny, of course, wrongly thought it was himself. Um, and really what it ended up coming down to was me forgetting that Manny Chima exists as a human being. Because that man, wow. Anyway. Anyway, if you want to check him out in the flesh, 
just a, another plug. I know people have been making it all over the place, but Manny's running a, uh, I guess, a master class, if you will, on uh, 40K strategy and tactics. And you will notice that a lot of our guests are mentioning him as their favorite player to win the LVO. Um, anyway, he's doing it at the LVO. I believe it's 2 o'clock on Thursday Ooh. before the festivities start. So you can get tuned up by Manny Chima himself for the low, low price of whatever it costs. <laughs> Uh, you can order those tickets on the LVO website. Uh, check it out. Support Manny. He's a he's a great man. He's coming a long way to kick everyone's ass. And that being said, that's that from this hearty Harvest Vegetable Soup of content. We wanted to drop into your feeds. But before we go, as always, we have to shout out our good friends and yours over on the FLG Network. Over on the Art of War, Nick and John kept dishing out the heat this week as they cooked up an episode with that vanilla thunder from down under, Adam Camilleri, as he talked up just how much... Dark Angels and Guard mean to him. You know, he's got my good coat, so I'm not going to belittle his poor choice in faction, but man. Anyway, meanwhile, Pablo and the crew wax poetic on what the big stories are coming into the LVO and about the new terrain changes. And lastly, the whole frontline crew finished their move to Nevada and pushed out their first episode of Signals from the Frontline in their new home. So go check them out. But remember, our show is better. Hit that like button, do the subscribe thing, send a letter to your representative in Congress, whatever it is, with whatever platform you use, just do it because we love you. And that love needs to be reciprocated. Correct. And remember, next week the Falcon is dropping those last-minute metastats analysis on top of hearing from our other four, the final four, if you will, favorites to win it all. What do you say, bud? Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.